Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Strongest Tribe podcast. You are here with Lydia for a solo episode. And today's chat is all about calf tears and calf pain. So I'm super excited to talk about this because I feel like the calves are very underrated and often neglected, particularly in the gym. So I'm really excited to hopefully share some knowledge, give you an insight into my physio brain and allow you to better manage your low limb injuries and hopefully improve your strength and conditioning plan if you have already got one or if you haven't got one uh, maybe this will give you a bit of inspiration all right let's get straight into it so today we're going to be covering basic calf anatomy the role of the calf or the calf muscles in running and then we're going to go through a calf tear now it isn't the top I feel like whenever people think of running injuries they tend to think of knees or Achilles uh, calf tears are probably a little bit more common in sprinters but I think it's really important to go through because it certainly happens uh, and I think this will be a good resource for anyone who has had a calf tear or maybe they just want to be really well prepared for if they have one in the future. And as we know, runners do get injured quite a bit. So it'll be a good one for you to have a bit of extra knowledge if you've got a mate who's got a calf tear and you can help them out with this handy info. So we're going to be going through calf tears. We're going to be talking about what they are, how they happen, the muscles involved, the recovery period, the rehab process, what to do, uh, what you can do in the gym, what you can do at home, and then how to prevent them in the future. Uh, I'm also going to mention a few resources as well. Uh, We have a few episodes as well with some past guests, which I'm going to reference some of their content too. So in the show notes, I'll have some links to some research articles as well as some previous podcasts, as well as some blog posts and just some websites and some Instagrams to check out. So lots of sort of practical advice from today's episode. All right, let's get straight into it. So Firstly, some basic anatomy. When I'm talking about the calf, typically I'm referring to the gastrocnemius and the soleus. But I think it's important to know that from sort of the knee down, we've actually got quite a few muscles there. We've got quite a lot going on. So the muscles can be divided into the deep group, which we've got the tibialis posterior, the flexor digitorum, the flexor hallucis longus, and the popliteus. And then superficial to that is the superficial muscle group. And we've got the gastrocnemius and the soleus. For today's episode, I'm pretty much going to be chatting just about the gastrox and the soleus. Some people say soleus. I think Soph says soleus, but I feel like it sounds quite cool. But I say soleus. I might, I might change it up. We'll see. But they're the main ones that we're going to be talking about. So the gastrocnemius, it's got two heads uh, and it's attached to the femur. So it's attached to our thigh bone. And one of the heads attaches on the medial side, so like the inside, and it's that medial epicondyle of the femur. And then the outer side, the lateral head, that attaches to the lateral femoral condyle. So basically two heads of this top part of the calf attaching to our thigh bone. So important to note that it attaches just above the knee joint. And then it inserts down, so it comes down the shin bone or the tibia and it inserts into this broad um, aponeurosis, which actually then sort of turns into the soleus and then it forms the Achilles tendon. So you don't really have to worry too much about any of this, but basically the gastrox is the top part of the calf. So when people sort of grab the top part of the calf that is your gastrocnemius and it is predominantly made up of type 2 muscle fibers which means your fast twitch so it is about producing power and well force strength force power uh, and fast twitch type movements so sprinting and just going fast and then the next part is our soleus or soleus, and it is a more sort of broad, flat muscle. And it sits just below the gastrocnemius and it pretty much, it sort of comes from a few different parts, but um, it's connected partly to our fibula, which is the boneless side of our lower leg. Um the, the fibula is sort of hard to feel up the top, but if you sort of feel down to that ankle bone, I feel like everyone calls it, the side of your lower leg, that is what the fibula is. But basically the soleus or soleus attaches to a part of that. It also attaches to the back of our tibia so that 
main shin bone and also attaches to um, part of the gastroc. So it's sort of right in the center and is the back of our lower limb and it comes all the way down and then forms the start of our Achilles tendon. None of that is all that important, but it's just a little bit of, uh, well, I guess it depends who you are. You might find it interesting and it might be important, but the main things I think to note is that the gastroc is predominantly type two and is at the top. And then the soleus is at the bottom and is predominantly type one muscle fibers. So the type one muscle fibers are more slow twitch. They're more endurance. They're more like a postural type muscle. So they tend to be working for longer periods of times and just tend to be sort of there working at a lower level compared to the gastroc is more for that fast, high energy, high speed, bam, kind of energy. Hopefully that makes sense. And I guess, yeah, so thinking about if you put your hand down to your calf, soleus is sort of right down at the bottom and then gastroc is right at the top. Uh, And the other thing to remember, like I said before, the gastroc inserts over the top of our knee. So it attaches to our femur, whereas a soleus or soleus doesn't go up that high. So it's down low. And the reason I say that's quite important is because for the soleus to function well, if we have or function best, if we have our knee bent, we actually get more of the soleus working. So when the knee is bent, our gastroc can't really work that hard because those muscles the muscle fibers attach over the knee joint. If you think that your knee joint is bent, there's a little bit of slack of that muscle at the top. So it actually isn't in a good position to produce optimal force. So when your knee is bent, your soleus works a lot harder. So often you'll see people in the gym doing a calf raise in a seated position, and that is typically to target the soleus because your gastroc can't work as hard. Okay, whereas when we're standing with a straight leg, your gastroc can work a lot harder and the soleus works as well, but it's predominantly targeting the gastroc. So they are probably the key parts to know about that. Now, when it comes to running, I think a big misconception is that we use our quadriceps and our glutes to run fast or just to run. And yes, they are two really big muscle groups that are definitely involved in running. And I think it seems to be such a common thing, isn't it? That you have an injury, you go to the physio and you come back with glute exercises and it's just the biggest thing. My glutes aren't working, they're not turning on, I need to get strong glutes. So it makes sense to assume that runners should be training glutes at the gym. And I definitely agree. I think we definitely need to, but the calves are actually so, so, so important. And I think if I could just train one thing, it would probably, oh gosh, I mean, that would be way too hard to pick, but I mean, the calves are so, so important. So I, I want everyone to know they are really important. I should I should fact check this, but I'm just going to say it. I'm sure you guys can find the research, but they say that the calf, they, again, a bit vague, but the calf takes six to eight times your body weight when you run. So that is a heck of a lot. And hopefully you can do some maths in your head. Think about how much you weigh and then times that by six six to eight or times just by six or maybe five. That'll be easy to work out. That's a lot of weight. So for anyone who trains at home and does their strength training at home, hopefully that will show you and indicate to you that we actually need a lot of load on our body to properly train the calves. And Sports Kyra Luke, who we've had on the podcast before, he's actually got a blog, a blog post about the mistakes or top four mistakes when rehabbing your calf from a calf tear. And one of the things that he says on there is not loading heavy enough. And I think that is such an important thing when you're coming back from an injury, literally any injury, but let's say particularly calves. When we're running, there's such a, a, a great force on our muscles because we're running, we're jumping, we're, we're propelling ourselves forward. We've got gravity acting on us. We've got our body weight. We're hitting the pavement. It's quite a lot of force. So if we're going to do calf raises at home, if we really want to increase, or if it's calf raises, glute bridges, squats, whatever it is, if we really want to change the capacity of our tissue, body weight, unfortunately, is just not enough. Now, I know there's a lot of people who love the bodyweight training and yes, there are certain exercises that you can use to really increase the loads without any weight and 
during lockdown, this is a little bit of tangent now, I did a lot of strength training with just body weight because I didn't have, well, I actually didn't have equipment and I did use equipment as well, but I, I remember using a lot of body weight exercises and I enjoyed exploring a whole variety of different exercises to sort of optimally load my muscles and make sure I was still getting the most out of my strength training. But it is just, it's far more efficient in the gym and I think you can hit the muscles in a way that well it's just more efficient and you can be sure that you're progressively overloading without requiring a skill or balance component I think sometimes the body weight varieties to really load up a certain muscle group often require quite a lot of mobility or an awkward sort of balancing position like when I think of you know low limb exercise I think of pistol squats um Oh, what's that other one? The shrimp squat, uh, the sissy squats. And they're so great, but like they also require this skill and like learning this awkward exercise, which requires a lot of mobility and just a weird balanced position. They're great. They're heaps of fun and I enjoy doing them. But I think in the gym, you can really, you know what muscles you're trying to target. You can target them well and you can make sure you progressively overload without just doing all these random sort of things. Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. I am definitely not saying weight training at home is bad. I just would preference picking up some heavy weights. Okay, so coming back to the role of calves in running. So they are incredibly important. As I've spoken about, the soleus is more that endurance type muscle and predominantly made up of type 1 fibers. And then the gastroc is more the type 2 fast twitch. So if we want to run faster, we need to have really strong calves. So as a human, as a runner, the only way that we can run faster is to either increase our stride frequency or increase our stride length. And ideally we do both and not have one sort of decrease as the other one increases. Ideally they both increase and that makes us go faster. Now increasing stride frequency is a more neurological or neuromuscular adaptation, which means we have to practice running fast to run fast. So that is, you know, doing your sprint training, which we actually had Vas Krishnan on couple weeks ago or last week actually and you can listen to his episode and he talks all about strength and conditioning for sprinting things you can do in the gym how you can increase your speed and there is a strength component of that a power component of that but also a neuromuscular adaptation which means getting your brain to talk to your muscles and making them work faster so there's that component of running faster and then there's the other component which is about increasing stride length And the way that we increase our stride length is to just push harder off the ground and be more powerful in our push off. So we can cover a greater distance every time we push off in a shorter amount of time. Now, there's quite a bit of research which has looked at how we do this. And the research shows that it is our calf muscles, so our soleus and gastroc. So still the soleus is involved here. And these two muscles actually are the main ones involved in exerting us forward and producing a greater force at which we can propel forward, which means increasing our stride length and actually decreases our contact time as well. Because of course, to go propelling forward faster, we want to decrease that contact time. So the evidence shows that up to 25 kilometers an hour that is predominantly produced, that acceleration in speed is predominantly produced by the soleus and gastroc. Once we improve or increase beyond 25 kilometers an hour, which if you do the maths, that's actually very fast, then it's going to be more our hip muscles, which can help to sort of pull our legs through. And that is now more about increasing our stride frequency. I will put the links to this research. There's quite a few papers which cover this and talk about the biomechanics. It is so interesting. It's so, so interesting, but it is also a lot to read. So you might find it too much to read, but please check it out. I'm going to put them there so you can have a look. Maybe just flick through and read the abstract. That's usually my favorite thing to do. But if you can be bothered to delve into it, great references. Now, my friend Sports Kyra Luke and Mechanics of Movement they have both got some really great content about these things so about the muscles used to run and run faster and they've got some great uh, blog posts so I will put those in the show notes as well as well as we actually had both Luke or they're both oh sorry both Luke sports car Luke and Tom from Mechanics Movement on our podcast so you can listen to their podcast episodes as well we spoke about different things 
to calves, but they're just very knowledgeable and they know a lot about running biomechanics. So two very interesting guys with some great content that you can check out. I will link below. Now that we know how important calves are for our performance, what do we do when we get calf pain? So I think often when people think of a calf tear, they tend to think it's like a really sudden, sharp, strong sort of stabbing sensation. And that definitely can be the case. And I think that is probably more likely to happen with a sprinter. And typically that is the gastrocnemius, which is affected when you get get that sort of sharp stabbing pain. And usually it is when the muscle gets lengthened under load. So the muscle is loaded eccentrically, which means it gets lengthened essentially under load. And often it can happen when someone is sprinting, when they're accelerating, um, Or it could happen when they are suddenly sort of overstretching that muscle. So maybe sort of lunging forward or running up onto a curb or even running down onto a curb or down off the curb, I should say. And typically you get that really sudden, sharp sort of stabbing feeling. And the one that normally gets you, (laughs) the one that's more commonly injured is that medial head of the gastroc. So the, the inner side of that top part of your calf. And, and that is the typical sort of gastroc injury. But we can also have a slightly different presentation, which I think is often not recognized as a tear and something myself I didn't know until I, uh, I guess, became a physio slash learn about it at uni. But we can also have this more sort of overuse type calf tear, which this is more when you get the soleus tear. And this is a, it's still a strong, sudden onset of pain. But it is more like a really tight, strong feeling. And people don't always realize that it's a tear. Or often people don't quite realize it's a tear. Because despite the fact that it comes on quite suddenly, it's more that sort of strong, tight, pain type feeling compared to the sudden bang feeling of a gastroc. And this will be lower down in the calf. So where I describe where the soleus is, it's it's down low. And often you'll notice that... A couple days leading up to this injury or weeks leading up to it, you might be just a bit tighter in the calves or a bit of a vague tightness in that particular area. And then you get that sudden onset of pain in that area. And as you guys now know, the soleus is more that type one muscle fibers. So it's more the endurance muscle, which means you'll probably notice walking and jogging is actually going to be more painful than our sprinting. So someone with a soleus strain is not going to have as much trouble getting back to sprinting because the the sprinting muscle hasn't been affected so much. It's more that soleus muscle. In saying that, just because you've got no pain sprinting and you've got a soleus tear, I wouldn't wouldn't recommend that you just sprint and you stop walking and jogging. That could cause a whole lot of other issues, but just something to, I guess, note if you are getting calf pain or you've had a sudden onset of tightness or some sort of sensation tightness pulling awareness in that calf you might play around with your speed and think oh I wonder where this actually is I wonder what muscle it is is it my gastroc is it my soleus and is good to differentiate the two now all that information uh, you might have actually had that sort of stabbing sensation or the other one uh, but you might just have a bit of a tight calf and hopefully this information will give you an opportunity to do a bit of a self-assessment and go, ah, got a bit of a tightness here. Maybe I'm going to back off my training so I don't get a tear because I'm definitely all about prevention over rehab. Like rehab is great. Obviously, if you have an injury, you need to rehab it. But if you can just not get the injuries to start with, which, you know, that's very optimistic. I think everyone is going to get injuries and that is just part of running. And I do really, truly see injuries as an opportunity to learn more about the body and, even just reflect on what running means to you and the how much you get out of running and the enjoyment of movement and, and all those things. But if you can prevent it, it would be fantastic. So if you are experiencing any of these symptoms, I guess, firstly, I would go and book in to see a physio and ideally someone who is a running or sports specific physio. Now, you may not be too worried. You might have a bit of knowledge. You might um, you might not actually really have the injury. So you may not need to go and see someone. You may not need to see someone. But I do think everything I say here will hopefully be really helpful. But I definitely think if I, I would recommend everyone still go and see a health professional because 
everyone is a little bit different. There's so many risk factors to injuries and often it's not as simple as muscle tear, rehab, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's just so much more complexity. And if you can go in and see a health professional, they can assess a lot more beyond just like, is it at the top of your calf? Is it the bottom of your calf? Does it hurt when you jog or when you sprint? You know, there is a lot more to it. So I guess I am just covering the basics and hopefully that is clear. Hopefully you don't consider this to be your only advice and then that's it. That's all you need to know because there's definitely more. Okay, so you've got your pain, you've got your injury or let's say hypothetically you've got this thing. Uh, What should you do? So firstly, go to see a physio. If not, your little self-assessment. Um, what what do you actually feel? Where is it? Um, does it hurt when you walk? Does it hurt when you run? Um, can you sort of just move your foot around and feel it? So I guess what we're looking for to sort of diagnose a tear is that you get pain when you stretch the muscle. So when you go into a dorsiflex position, hopefully everyone knows how to stretch their calf. I think most runners have stretched their calves before, but Pain or awareness, I'm going to say awareness because with a muscle tear, it can be really, really small or it can be really, really big and there is sort of everything in between. So we can go right down from the scale of like sort of vague awareness all the way up to, you know, terrible, terrible pain. And if you were a professional athlete, you'd probably have a team and they would standardize the the scale and it would be grade one grade two grade three you'd go and get an mri and they would see exactly where it is exactly the the length they'd measure it they would you know they'd be following all those things but probably no one listening to this is a professional athlete and i also wouldn't think having an mri is really going to change much for how you would rehab an injury anyway so i definitely don't think that it's essential to go and get an mri or an ultrasound and know exactly what it is because you know, there is that scale. I think you just have to sort of feel how you feel. But coming back to the diagnosis, you've got an awareness or pain when you stretch the muscle. So when you go into that dorsiflex position, when you drop your heel off the edge of the step, uh, when you pull your toes back, essentially. Um, The next part is you get a pain or awareness when you contract the muscle. So when you go into a plantar flex position, that's when the muscles contract. And the plantar flex position just means when you're pointing your toe or if you're standing, when you go up into a calf raise, so you lift your heels up off the ground, that is plantar flexion. And that is when the gastroc and the soleus contract. So you get pain or awareness when you do that. Now, your your calf tear might be on the very mild scale and you may not feel it unless you uh, hop or jump or run or I guess maybe do a calf raise under heavy load. And that would be on like the smallest, teeniest, tiniest scale. It might even just be muscle DOMS, which is like micro tears. So delayed onset muscle soreness, micro tears. Uh, Or it could be on the other end of the scale. Uh, But I guess, yeah, just good to sort of feel what you feel, see where it's at. And as you progress with your rehab, you'll notice that you'll sort of shift into those phases of more awareness compared to pain. So first one, pain on stretch. Second one, pain or awareness on contraction and then the last one is pain on palpation or pain on touching poking feeling that muscle so getting getting your finger in there and sort of finding where it is because typically a tear is sort of in one particular spot or it might sort of be a length but you should be able to sort of find a spot where it feels quite sore or maybe quite tight you might even have sort of like a bit of a bump or like a sort of knotted feeling when you sort of poke around, but you should be able to find a sore spot. So they're the three sort of diagnostic criteria. And as I said, they sort of come in shades of gray from dull awareness to sort of strong stretching kind of pain or discomfort to like real strong pain. And obviously different movements, you know, really having to pull it back to stretch it, to feel it or, you know, strong contraction etc. So trying to figure out the severity, definitely seeing a health professional will help you with that. So seeing a physio or a podiatrist or whoever is in your area that looks after runners who, or sports people who run. Uh, so that would be the first thing, figuring out roughly what it is, because depending on the severity, that will depend on how long the rehab period is. And it could be anywhere from, you know, maybe two weeks if it's very mild or up to that six to eight weeks if it's quite severe. Now, with the rehab, I would recommend not worrying too much about the number of weeks because 
everyone is a little bit different and there are a lot of factors in recovery such as sleep and stress which are really hard to measure so that time frame is going to just be so different for everyone and you know maybe you might have a job which requires you to be on your feet and doing lots of walking and if you're having pain when you walk it's going to be really hard to rest that so I wouldn't get too caught up in the number of weeks I think you just need to sort of block out in your head all right the next couple months like let's just think you know roughly think in my head I'm going to be focusing on getting this calf really strong and feeling good so I can run again obviously if you've got races coming up you want to know am I going to be ready am I not should I push hard blah 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 but I think the key part of the rehab process is meeting the sort of like meeting the objective measures so have I got pain when I do this yes no move to the next phase if I don't, if I do have pain, all right, re like continue on the phase you're at and then not progressing to the next thing until you're actually ready for it. So focusing on that process and meeting the sort of criteria, which I'll, I'm going to go through that. But again, having a health professional to however, having a health professional to help you figure out what that criteria is, because it will be a little bit different for each person is a really sort of good way to go. But I'm going to take you through a basic sort of general advice for a basic calf tear in this episode. All right, so moving on, we figured out where it is, what it is. You know, we've got a little bit of an idea of time frame in our head. You might even want to do a bit of a test where you do a calf raise with a straight leg and then do a calf raise with a bent leg. So literally bending into a half squat position and then raising your heels off the ground. And you might go, ah, it actually doesn't hurt when I do it with a bent leg. Or it hurts only with a bent leg. And then you're going to be able to differentiate if it is the soleus or the gastroc. So remember, if you feel it on the bent leg, then that's the soleus, the bottom part of the calf. The straight leg test is going to be getting the gastroc. Um, I'm actually going to put a little link to a website which just talks about just some really basics of calf raises. Oh, sorry, not calf raises, uh, calf tears. And it sort of explains like, what the symptoms are and the severity and actually talks about grade one, two, three. I wouldn't worry again too much about that because it comes everywhere in between and it just gives you a really nice basic overview um, of all these things. Anyway, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So we've identified where we're at, what we've got going on. Now we need to get this calf better. So the best part, how exciting, let's rehab the calf. So first part is the recovery and the acute phase of healing and resting. Now I have got a nice little, a well, it's not mine, but a nice acronym called police. Now I think in the past, everyone would be familiar with RICE, rest, ice, compression, elevation, but police is the updated version and it stands for protect optimal loading, ice and compression. So we still got the ice there. We still got the compression. Now look with a calf tear, I really personally, I wouldn't bother icing and compressing uh you can and it might make it feel better and if it makes it feel better then go for it there is just so much that we could chat about with ice and compression and it deserves its whole episode and honestly i'm not up to date with the latest research on what is best uh i think the most recent one was 15 minutes on 15 minutes off with ice and then compression you know it can help to promote blood flow and reduce swelling so you know, if you have got some swelling and you are in quite a bit of pain, I definitely go for it. Like it's not going to hurt and it's probably going to help you get out of pain. And if it can help you get out of pain, then hundred percent go for it. But I think, you know, if you've just sort of got that bit of ache pain, but it doesn't bother you when you're walking around, I wouldn't be too concerned about getting out the ice and compression. Uh, just because I get cold when I put ice on myself and I just couldn't be bothered to be completely honest. That's just my complete honest truth. And the evidence isn't overwhelmingly, yes, you need to do it. So minimal effects, but maybe you might get some gain. So definitely go for that if you'd like. But the two other parts of the acronym or three other parts, protect and optimal loading are super important. So the first phase, that acute phase, stage one is all about protecting the injured site. So we're really trying to reduce the pain and protect that injury. So, you know, you think you've got muscle tear, little fibers of the muscle being pulled apart, they're angry, they're sore, might be a bit swollen, whatever. So let's try and really protect that one way that we can protect is by just not doing the things that hurt it. How obvious is that? So if it hurts to run, stop, stop, stop running. Okay. I said that three times just because 
I had a calf tear just over a year ago and I was just so determined that I could keep running and oh, I just did not, I just didn't get it. I was like, oh, it's not really hurting. It's only hurting a little bit. Like I'll just jog a little bit. And in fact, I'll show you a little bit about, a little bit about that later, but anyway, protect it. So whatever hurts it, we don't want to do. We want to find things that we can do that don't hurt it. So if it doesn't hurt walking, you can walk, but let's try and go for some slow walking, really gentle, go swimming, uh, hop on the elliptical at the gym or the bike at the gym. Now, those things might hurt you because it might be a severe calf strain. So if they hurt you, then you should not be doing it. We're not doing anything that hurts. Uh, in the later stages, if there's a bit of discomfort, that's okay. But in this first stage, we're avoiding everything that hurts it. Okay, so protect the damaged tissue. Now, optimal loading, that is all about uh, finding the thing that you can do within that pain-free range. So finding an activity that keeps the foot moving, keeps the ankle moving, keeps the knee moving, but it's not too much. And as we progress through the rehab, that optimal loading becomes more important because we actually need to load that damaged tissue in order to stimulate the adaptation to make it stronger, healthier, and just come back to full strength. So it becomes even more important as we go along. Now, a few other things that we can add in there to help in this acute phase would be a heel raise in our shoe. So you can go to a physio and they can get one of these for you. I'm trying to think if you can get them from the chemist. I'm not sure. I don't mean like an orthotic or a cushion in your shoe, like a heel pad. I mean an actual heel raise. In fact, I don't think you can buy them. I think you have to go to a physio and they can get you one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure. Uh, but yeah, you need a little heel raise. So something to bring your, your heel up. So you're just taking a bit of the stretch off your calf, which means you're not pulling and aggravating that damaged tissue. Another way that you can do this without getting an actual heel raise is just wearing a shoe that's got a high pitch, so a high or a large heel to toe drop. So shoes, conventional joggers typically have between 8 and 12 mils of like, you know, between 8 and 12 mils of heel drop or pitch, depending what you like to call it. Some are a little bit less, like my hockers are, I think, five mils that I wear, my hocker Cliftons, my hocker Rincons. I think my hocker Max are also around four or five mils, but I've also got my Nike Pegasus. I think they're eight mils. So if I had a calf raise, and when I did have my calf raise, I wore my pegs because, or my Pegasus, because they have got that high heel to do drop and it would just offload that area. You could also pop some K tape on or kinetic tape kinesio tape dynamic tape whatever you like to call it and that can help there again is a little bit of mixed evidence on that but you know i'm all about just doing all the things that could help a little bit so go for it if it feels good you know do it um and again when i had my injury i did all those things but i also didn't do the protect part all that well oh sorry i didn't do the optimal loading part all that well i was in a little bit of denial and I remember I was on a run. I'd met a friend for a run and I had the pain the day before in training, but I didn't really assess it. I was like, oh, I think it's fine. And then got the pain when I started running and because I'd planned to meet up with someone, I didn't want to bail out on the run. And I was like, oh, I'll just see how I go. And I think I ran like three, maybe five Ks and it was just getting worse. And I was like, okay, look, I've got to stop. I'm just going to walk. And then I continued to walk for an hour and it still hurt walking and I shouldn't have walked, but I was like, well, if I can't run, I'll just walk. So be realistic guys, you know, turn your Strava off, stop the watch, like try not to, try not to lie to yourself. Like if it hurts and it's painful, come on, do the right thing by your body. It's going to recover quicker if you can just stop doing the painful thing. And I know it's so hard and the continuation of my story is that I did rest. I think I had five days off and then still like ran and I was running pain-free, but I remember there was, it wasn't, it was pain-free, but there was like this awareness and tightness. And so I sort of just started limping a little bit and I did that for the next, I think four weeks. And then I got a stress fracture and I guess going to rewind just a little bit further I had a knee injury and then the knee injury 
led me to have this calf tear because I was sort of putting a bit more weight on my left side because I was again in denial about the pain that I was having in my knee and I really could not run properly. I was running all on my left side and then I got the calf tear and had four days off and I was like, oh, I think it's good. I think it's fine. I still had this awareness, but it was fine. So then I was limping like this awkward running gait and I couldn't run on the hills because of my knee. I couldn't run downhill. I couldn't do any fast stuff change of direction because of my calf and I couldn't do the sand because of my calf so I just did all hard concrete running I was limping my biomechanics were off and I got a stress fracture so that has basically been my whole last year recovering from this stress fracture and dealing with all these things because I didn't do the protect part of police and optimal loading part of police so don't lie to yourself okay number one advice don't lie to yourself if it hurts, accept, acknowledge and deal with it because there's so much you can do that isn't running. You can swim, you can surf, you can go for gentle walks, you can do cross training at the gym and it's an opportunity to learn more about your body and come back stronger, fitter, faster, healthier, more knowledgeable, more educated, more enthused, more grateful, all those good things. All right, let's continue on with the rehab because otherwise this episode will go for five hours and I'll be talking about nothing. But we have done that phase one which is the reducing the pain, swelling, and trying to get back to any movement that you can do that doesn't hurt. Stage two is all about getting that full range of motion back. And this might actually mean doing some gentle stretching. So again, we're looking for pain-free activities, so pain-free movements, but we can feel a gentle sort of stretch because when you have a muscle tear and muscles tend to want to sort of contract tightly and knit back together to make a nice strong healthy muscle which is you know tight and healthy but when you think about the muscle fibers you know they've been pulled apart and now they go oh we've got to pull back together really strong sometimes when you come back from injury you're actually a bit tighter in that muscle because they've knitted back together super tight so what we need to do is make sure that we don't end up with tightness once it's healed in that muscle and then expose ourselves to re-injuring so let's make sure we do some nice gentle stretching of that muscle so what you might want to do I wouldn't drop my heel off the edge of a step straight away I just lean up against a wall have my leg extended out behind me just get a nice gentle stretch in that calf you might have a theraband you might want to hold a theraband around your toes in a long sit position so legs out long uh, and just pulling your toe back with the theraband or you can use like a belt or something Um, your dressing gown cord, a towel, whatever, and just really gently stretching. Again, aiming for pain-free, but a gentle stretch is fine, okay? So if that's all feeling good, you're doing some gentle walking, no pain, you might walk a little bit faster, but when I say a little bit faster, just keep it nice and cruisy, okay? So we're doing that. The next part is actually trying to restore some strength in that muscle. So the first thing that you can try out is a double leg calf raise. Now, depending on the severity of the injury, that might have been pain-free from the start. So just pick this up wherever you're at in your injury journey, tightness, pain, blah, blah, blah. You figure out where you're at. Again, see a physio and they'll be able to help you with this and really tailor the program to suit you and whatever your injury history is as well, because that's important too. So double leg calf raise so I would stand up against a wall and pop my hands on the wall or (laughs) maybe against a seat so you don't put your fingers on the wall and put any fingerprints on your beautiful pristine walls so yeah double leg calf raise you're aiming to be able to do 15 maybe up to 20 with no pain if that feels really good then you can progress to a single leg calf raise and again trying to get to that 15 20 reps no pain remember with a single leg calf raise This isn't about testing your balance, holding on to something so you can really just focus on getting a nice, smooth heel up, heel down, aiming for one to two seconds on the way up and one to two seconds on the way down. Make sure you're not rolling your ankle out. You're trying to get a bit of load through your big toe. Okay, toes are relaxed. They're not scrunching. They should be soft and it should feel controlled and comfortable. You might feel some fatigue, but not painful. In this part though, once you're onto that single leg, you might have a little bit of discomfort and a tiny bit of discomfort is okay. We're just wanting no pain, okay? Once you've got that fine, 15 to 20 reps, feeling pretty good, you know, maybe even 10 reps feeling pretty good, 
I would then try out a deficit calf raise. So that is where you are on a step and you're letting your heel drop over the edge of the step and then coming all the way up to the top. Now, this should be quite hard. I think anyone, even without an injury, will find this quite hard. But what is really good about it is because you're getting a stretch, it's helping to lengthen that tissue. So you're getting both a stretch and a strengthening exercise in one. So I really like the eccentric or the deficit calf raise. Once you've built up to 15, 20 pain-free, again, going nice and slowly, I would then start to get out some weight. So if you are in a gym, you're aiming to pick up a weight or maybe you're at home, get yourself a backpack and put some bags of rice in there, some cans of beans, some pasta, whatever you've got that's heavy, maybe some clothes or whatever. And you're aiming to have a weight that makes a calf raise Uh, feel quite hard and you get that fatigue feeling in your muscle at about six to eight reps so you want to sort of feel like the last couple reps are starting to get hard and there's that fatigue there I'd aim for that six to eight rep mark uh, and that should be a good sort of indicator that you're ready to progress on to the next thing now depending what you've got access to if it was me I would be doing a combination of both the double leg or the single leg, you know, body weight sort of aiming to just increase my reps, focusing on endurance. And I would also do the strength component where I've got a weight in my hand and I'm keeping the reps quite low. So that is what I would do because I'd be wanting to, I guess, really optimize my rehab and do a bit of both. It doesn't mean that I would be doing, uh, I guess, what, like, you don't want to be doing calf raises all day, every day, okay? There is a limit to how much you should be doing. And I would just do it once a day. So I'm not saying more is better, but I'm saying that what you're going to be getting out of 20 reps of calf raises is a little bit different to what you're getting out of six reps under load. So whatever you can do pain-free is great, but ideally we're trying to increase our load. So as soon as you can tolerate a bit of load, you really need to give your calf that load. Because as I said before, we need the load to stimulate the tissue to adapt and get stronger and heal. Okay, now coming back to what we said at the start, the calf has made up the soleus and the gastroc. So we've got the bent knee and the straight knee, essentially. So depending where your calf tet is, you're going to be doing these either in a bent knee or a straight knee position. Now, again, I would actually aim to do them in both, whether you've got a gastroc or a soleus tear, because now that you're not running or not doing the thing, you can have a little bit of deconditioning from not doing that sport, as well as you've got a tear, you know, you can have a little bit of bleeding from the tear, a bit of swelling. You're going to have some compromise to that whole area. And with traumatic injuries, we can have a down regulation of our motor responses just in general to areas beyond just that sort of area like for example with a lateral ankle sprain you actually get down regulation of our motor output in our glutes on the other side so you know the body when it has an injury is like well slow down so consider rehabbing slash consider strengthening as much of your lower limb as you can if anything feels pain-free and it feels good pick up a weight and load it because that is going to help your rehab so bent knee straight knee now I think a lot of people find the bent knee really awkward. I would just do it in a seated position. So I would sit on a chair and I would put a heavy weight on my legs. At the gym, there's a seated calf raise machine. So if you've got access to a gym, definitely that is a really good option. But if not, just put some really heavy things on your lap. And you might not be up to doing something crazy heavy. So you might find that at home, you can actually load yourself up with a couple of textbooks on your lap. And again, remember, if you can do double leg pain-free, then you should be progressing onto a single leg variety. Okay, so that's that sort of next phase. And again, these will start to sort of merge into each other as, you know, depending where you're at. But basically, first phase is all about protecting you know, in that acute stage, letting it heal. Stage two, we're trying to regain that full range of motion and pain-free on some of our strength exercises. Moving on to phase three. Now, this is all about creating power and endurance. So we're ready to progress onto plyometrics, okay? You're able to do six to eight reps of a calf raise under weight, no pain. You can do three or four rounds of that and you're up to that 15 to 20 reps single leg no pain. So ready to progress onto power. Now with power and plyometrics, really start nice and cautiously, but don't avoid them. I think a lot of people fear that as soon as they start jumping and hopping, oh shit, I'm going to re-terror. I'm going to hurt it. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. But 
if you can't hop and jump, you're not ready to run. So do not miss this phase. It is so important. I would start off with just a really gentle double leg jump. So just on the spot, tiny little, just sort of bouncing on your legs, um, sort of bouncing your heels up and down. And then when you're sort of feeling ready, that feels fine. Then actually bringing your feet off the ground, little tiny jumping double leg. Okay. If that feels good, you can progress to a double leg jump to a single leg land. So two feet and you're jumping and landing on one leg. Okay. So that's practicing that landing component. So trying to condition our tissues, our calf complex to tolerate landing, which is really important. So that's the first one I give a go. The next one would be depth jumping. So that would be jumping from a box and landing. Firstly, just double leg. Again, practicing that landing component, which is easier than the push-off phase for the calf. So that's more that early stage plyometric. Once that feels fine, you can progress to um, the single leg landing. So from the depth jump, so from a box, jumping off, landing on one leg. Okay, so that's all about the landing. Uh, Then we've got our more propulsion phase, so just that single leg hopping. And I would first start off with the double leg. So put into YouTube right now, pause this, go into YouTube and Google double leg pogos. In fact, I might put some links in the bio, so not bio, the description. So scroll down, find them. I'm going to put a link to Mechanics of Movement's blog. He's got some fantastic resources and he shows you some great progressions of pogos and jumping and hopping. So check these out. But basically the pogo, you're trying to practice that really fast, fast, well, I guess it's the fast twitch component of your calf complex. So you're trying to land softly, lightly, and as fast as you can off the ground. So double leg pogo, start off with that. And once that feels good, you can do it for 30 seconds. Then you're progressing to the single leg. Now, when I say it feels good, awesome, progress to the next. I'm not expecting you to do this all in one day. This might happen over four weeks or it could happen over four days. It just depends the severity of the injury, what your training history is, what your chronic workload is, etc. So other things that you can be doing at this stage is, aside from these plyometrics, is continuing the weighted calf raises, just trying to increase the weight. Um, swimming, you know, cycling, cross training, whatever, all your other upper body strength training, glute stuff, core stuff. Um, you might be ready to start walking a little bit faster. You might take that heel raise out of your shoe. I would get it out. If you're onto hopping, get rid of the heel raise. You don't need it. It's not going to prevent you from having the injury again. So get rid of it. Uh, and yeah, just continue all that cross training. Our last phase, phase four, is all about coordination, agility, and returning to sport. So essentially, we're going to continue all the cross training, our walking, running a bit, oh, sorry, not running, walking a bit faster, adding more intensity with that. With our strength, we're just increasing the weight, still keeping the reps low, still six to eight or five to eight, five to six, whatever your sort of, I guess, training level will allow. So if you're experienced in the gym, then you can drop the reps down even lower and aim to lift as heavy as possible. But remember, we're aiming for pain-free. You can feel fatigue and feel working of the muscle, but we're not wanting pain. So continue progressing with all of that. Continue progressing your single leg hopping, jumping. And again, if you've got a physio, they're going to be able to talk you through all of this. Maybe you've got an SNC coach, your exercise physiologist, they might be able to give you a more sort of fully rounded uh, plyometric program. So you can make sure you're covering landing, um, propelling, and just yeah, tolerating the different forces that you will need for your specific running goals or whatever you're doing pre-injury. And then once we've continued progressing with that, we can start our more sort of sport specific coordination agility drills. And this for running is probably not the same if you're an AFL player or soccer player or netball or whatever it is and you've got to you know change direction really fast. But I would still be adding in some change of direction stuff in the gym even if you're just running in straight lines. So all that means is just hopping, but in multiple directions. So hopping to the side, hopping in diagonal, hopping backwards, hopping forwards, you know, put some cones out, make up whatever you want to make up. Again, if you've got someone to help you out with this, it's really handy, but you're going in all the different directions. Okay. The last phase is actually about returning to running. Now there's so many different ways that you can sort of do this and, Again, having someone to help you out is really handy, but I would be 
setting yourself a few goals to hit before you actually trial running. And I'm going to link Sports Cairo. Luke has got a great sort of checklist and blog about the sort of things that you should be hitting before you can do it. Um, so I'm going to link that there as well. Uh, another, in fact, I'll go through those in just a second. But before I say that, there is a paper by Herbert and Loiza, and I probably didn't pronounce that right, but they have got a bit of a standardized sort of calf rep range that you should be able to hit depending on your gender and age to determine that you are ready to go back to running. And it's around 30 reps. So I'll link that there and put the picture, but I think it's around 30 reps for, well, I mean, I think I'm trying to think what my age is. Anyway, not overly important, but have a look at that. Well, it is overly important, but me giving you a random number isn't going to help because you'll be a different age and gender to me, likely. So have a look at that. See what your number is. I think mine was about 30 reps. So the idea is that you can do 30 calf raises off the edge of a step, two seconds up, two seconds down, single leg without pain and, you know, to fatigue. So 30 reps is actually quite a lot of calf raises. So that is a good one that you can check off. The other ones that I would be focusing on and sports car, Luke talks about this as well. He goes into a little bit more detail, but I guess the key things that I would really say are important is that you want your strength of the injured side to be within about 10% of the uninjured side. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. And that sort of 30 rep calf phrase is awesome, but maybe you normally run and the most calf raises you can do is actually only 10 on the other side and you normally run and you have no issues. So Firstly, I'd say you probably should increase your calf raise, calf raise strength, but let's just not worry that too much now. If your normal side is 10 and your injured side is 10, you're probably sort of back to that strength that you had before the injury. So that's a really good sign. So you're aiming for that within 10%. If you're doing weighted exercises, it's quite easy to see that. You can, you know, see I can hold eight kilos on my left. Can I do eight kilos on my right? If you're doing the plyometrics, you can set up a few different tests. Uh, if you've got force plates, that's awesome. Most people don't have access to that to sort of see truly what that muscle is able to put out force-wise. Uh, but if you're doing a single leg hopping, a test that I quite like is the three hop test. And essentially you do three hops and you're trying to hop as far forward as possible. Hands across your shoulders, have a little start line and take three hops as far as you can. Okay. Measure the distance on your left compared to your right. And you're aiming to have within 10% of your uninjured side. So that's your normal. Uh, other ways you can test it is how high you can jump. So the vertical jump test, and that is literally just how high you can jump. Um, you can get a bit of chalk and try and jump up and put a dot on the wall and see if that is within 10% of your uninjured side. Uh, there's so many different tests and an SNC coach, an exercise physiologist, someone who works in that space will probably give you heaps. And again, I'd go and see someone who can really make sure that you're at that ready to run phase. So they're the ones that I do vertical jump, uh, calf race to fatigue test, left and right. I do a weighted exercise, bent knee and straight knee and the vertical jump. And what did I say? All oh, the three hop tests. Yeah, they're probably the ones that I would do. I'd also probably poke around. Is it sore? I would see how it feels on a stretch. I'd do those things too. Okay. If they're all feeling good, uh, can you hop for 30 seconds on that leg? I'd do that. That would be the next one I'd do. And then I would say everything feels good. I'm not getting any awareness or pain or stretch or anything like that. I'm going to try a jog. You want to go really, really slowly at first, okay? Nice, easy jog. Don't put it on your watch, okay? Don't put it on Strava. Don't get tempted to run too fast. Let's go super, super slow. I want you to pay attention to how you feel at the start, during, at the end, and then once you've cooled down a couple hours later, okay? Because sometimes you don't notice it when you're running, but you notice once you've cooled down that it's actually quite sore and tight. So that's why on that first run, you really only want to trial just a couple of minutes first and go, okay, I did two minutes and felt fine. Let's just wait for a couple hours. Let's wait till tomorrow. See how I pull up, make sure it all feels good uh, before I proceed. So let's say you've done that. The next day comes, you feel really good. Everything's still is showing no signs of pain, then I would give a five minute run a go, which I know five minutes is just probably seems like nothing, but I would, yeah, I'd test out running a little bit longer, maybe run a little bit faster, but let's just see how that feels. Okay. And again, 
wait till the next day. How'd you pull up? Were you sore? Were you tight? Were you stiff? Do you feel like you're not as strong now? I think if you're at this phase and you've done all those hop tests, the strength and like everything is basically the same, a five minute jog really should be no issues. But I, I think the key part is to err on the side of caution and, you know, a couple extra days of just doing really slow, easy jog is probably going to serve more in the long run. I think being cautious is probably not something that runners tend to be good at. So I guess that's why my recommendations are quite conservative, but also, I don't, this is really general advice. You know, I don't know what your running history is. And I think you need to consider, you know, the whole of you, what you normally do, what your load is at work, stresses, sleep, um, what your normal running volume is, etc. And that's why seeing someone can be very helpful. Uh, but that is just sort of a little recommendation. I'd say, you know, try just two minutes. Next day, try five minutes. If that's feeling really good, then I'd sort of try and resume just some nice easy running and I don't know what that is for you depends what you normally do for me I would probably do a 30 to 40 minute really easy run I'd try not to look at my watch just try and go as easy as possible as slow as is comfortable you know like running too slow is often uncomfortable but I just go nice and slowly and not worry about the watch Uh, The next part of the rehab is about running at faster speed. So if you have got a gastroc tear, it is important to be able to resume or get back to that faster speed. And the way that I would do this is by doing some strides. So finding a nice smooth bit of ground and, you know, firstly, you want to make sure that you're running up to half an hour or whatever it is that is your sort of normal, easy, sort of moderate distance jog, but adding some strides in. So make sure you're really well warmed up, but I would do, this is an example, again, it would need to be tailored to you and what your injury history and running history is like. But let's say you're going to find a space of 50 meters and you can do 10 50 meter efforts. Now, the first couple are just going to be really gentle, focusing on form and just getting comfortable. Uh, And then the middle sort of portion, so maybe the middle three to five, you're going to be aiming to run a little bit faster. Uh, and then the last ones are sort of a little bit more like a cool down. But what we're working towards is that sort of maximal speed. Now, on the first session of this, I wouldn't be going for maximal speed. I'd just be going for, you know, maybe 70% of whatever your max is. Now, if you're not a sprinter, you may not need to sort of go for that all out as hard as you can speed. You might just be wanting to build up into your race tempo and maybe you're a 10K runner. And so your race tempo isn't a sprint. It's it's hard, but it's not a sprint. So consider what your goals are and what you're training for. And that will allow you to sort of make some changes to this to suit you. Uh, but I guess the key parts are good warm up, gentle progression, increasing your pace slowly, gently, or not slowly, obviously increasing your pace is <laughs> increasing your pace, but bring it in gradually and then start to um, slow down. And with the sort of hardest, fastest 50 minute effort, I'd be aiming to only actually run the middle sort of, I guess, 10 to 15 meters at that max effort and the first part is building and the last part is gradually slowing rather than aiming to go as hard and fast as you can for the whole 50 meters I think that's a really key part because the sort of energy and power that the calf needs to create to accelerate from standing still to sprinting is it's a really it's highly demanding compared to starting from jogging and then increasing your speed more gradually isn't as demanding so it's a good way to prevent a relapse (laughs) what's the word a a recurrence of the injury okay so i think they are the main things to consider for a calf tear hopefully that has been beneficial and hopefully this will be a good resource for you to look back on in the future if you do have any calf tightness and you're worried that it might be a sort of low-grade calf tear you're sort of feeling that dull achy feeling you're like oh it's a little bit stronger than a normal tight muscle so hopefully this will be helpful i think the only other things to mention is prevention is better than rehabbing so you know, let's just not get it. Let's not overtrain. Let's pay attention to when we're in pain. Let's pay attention to our injury history. Let's pay attention to our weaknesses and, you know, train hard, recover harder, rest when you need to rest. Uh, Let's keep our easy runs easy and our hard runs hard. And also if you don't train sprinting, your muscles will not be adapted to sprinting. So if you have suffered a calf tear because you decided to sprint for the first time, 
you know, that is, that's very, very frustrating, but it is because your tissue is not used to that. So the way to get used to it is to actually do more fast stuff. So I would definitely recommend having a coach, a physio, an SNC coach to help you out in the gym with your training, managing your volume, and then physio to manage those injuries and talk about a bit of a prevention strategy plan that will be tailored to you. But I guess they are my main sort of tips and hopefully some practical things that you can try out in the gym. And yeah, that's it. So thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm so stoked to have you here if you made it to the end. I had planned to talk for about 20 minutes, half an hour. I was like, there's just not much to say about carbs, but here I am an hour later and um, we got through it. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you are in need of some hydration, nutrition, check out Tailwind. We've got a discount code for you in the bio. If you are after some shoes, some Vivo Barefoots, we've also got a discount there too. And next week we have an episode coming out, which will be with an exciting guest And you just have to stay tuned to see who that guest is. But thank you so much for being a supporter of the Strongest Drive podcast. Soph and I absolutely adore getting messages from you and all the support that you show. We just love it so much. Uh, We love it when you share on Instagram, when you're listening and the feedback that comes through our Facebook community, all of it. We just love it so much. So thank you. Thank you so much. I hope everyone is enjoying whatever they're up to when they're listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.